an epic matchup between your two favorite teams, and you're at the game getting the most from what it means to be here with American Express. You breeze through the card member entrance, stop by the lounge. Now it's almost tip-off, and everyone's already on their feet. This is going to be good. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your live sports experience at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Eligible American Express card required. Benefits vary by card and by venue. Terms apply. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere. Like in the parking lot at your kid's peewee championship game. A trophy bigger than your five-year-old is blocking the rear windshield of the car in front of you. As they reverse into you, you're stuck on defense. And if you don't have the right auto insurance coverage, this crash could drain your athletic fund. So switch to Allstate, save money, and get protected from mayhem like this. Based on coverage selected, subject to terms, conditions, and availability. Savings vary. Whether it's your first time betting or you've been gambling for years, have a plan and know the game. Be aware of the rules and odds before you gamble. Set a budget and never gamble with money you can't afford to lose. Take a break and consider teaming up with trusted friends to help you stick to your budget. Remember, if you or a loved one has a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER 24-7 or go to HelpMyGamblingProblem.org for free confidential services. The Volume. This is Boxing with Chris Mannix presented by FanDuel. It might be cold outside, but the sports calendar is heating up and there's no better place to get in on the action than with FanDuel. The app is is safe, secure, and easy to use. FanDuel always has exclusive offers, boosts, and more. When you win, you'll get paid fast. FanDuel has lots of ways to play, like the spread, money line, over-unders, team totals, player props, and so much more. Jump into the action at any time during the game with live betting, combine multiple bets from the same game in a same-game parlay, and try out the same-game parlay plus. And FanDuel is now live in Maryland near where Javante Davis is going to fight in just a few weeks. So use the promo code BOXING and download the FanDuel app today to start making every moment more. Promo code BOXING. This is Boxing with Chris Mannix. Oh, somebody punch him in the face. Anthony Joshua is a composed and ferocious finisher. Watch this. Andy Ruiz is the heavyweight champion. Hosted by SI's Chris Mannix. That was my moment. Now with interviews, analysis, and everything going on in the world of boxing. When you have talent, you are given another chance. Here's Chris Mannix. Welcome back to another Boxing with Chris Mannix. As always, you can listen to the show live on the AMP app. Just follow Chris Mannix on AMP. And we are back. The last podcast before the Christmas holiday. Happy holidays, everybody. Some of you celebrating Hanukkah. Some of you about to celebrate Christmas. Some of you celebrating Festivus, maybe. I'm a big Festivus fan uh, myself. Whatever it is that you're celebrating, hope you're enjoying it. We got a lot to get to on this podcast. A lot happening now as we get uh, closer to the end of the year and into 2023. To discuss all that, I'm going to bring in my friend Dan Rayfield, longtime boxing reporter, commentator, now the author of Fight Freaks Unite on Substack. You can subscribe to that page. Also follow Dan on Twitter at DanRayfield1. What's happening, Dan? How you doing? I'm doing very good. I want to know, is this episode of uh, your podcast, since it's Festus, are we going to do an airing of our grievances? Oh, I got a lot of grievances, especially with boxing. I got that, that's, uh, that's actually not a bad column, the airing of the grievances. I think that would piss a lot of people off, but um, 
that's not a bad idea for uh, for a column. Last um, I checked, next year when we're worried about pissing people off. No, no, not so much, not so much. Although I yes, yes, I, I the number of text messages I get nowadays from pissed off people it's a little higher than I'd like at the moment. But uh, <laughs> it's neither here nor there. Um, Dan, before we get into the topics this week, and we're going to talk about the mess in the 140 pound division, we're going to talk about a few other things, uh, Frank, including Frank Martin, who looked great last weekend. Uh, Steve Smoger, someone you know well, I know well. He passed away this week. Longtime boxing referee, boxing Hall of Famer, inducted in 2015. I knew Steve a little bit as a referee. I got to know him a lot better in his years as a commentator, a referee analyst, rules analyst. He did it a little bit early on with me for NBC in their Fight Night series. And then more significantly, I would think, with DAZN, when he joined up with them for a few fights over the last couple of years. Uh, tremendous guy. Like, one of the best guys in all of boxing. Always had a smile on his face. Always wanted to hear about what was going on in your, on your life. Wanted to talk about something good that was happening in his. And from a professional perspective, I was really impressed at how enthusiastic and inquisitive Steve was about broadcasting. Like, he didn't go into it thinking... I'm Steve Smoger. I'm a Hall of Fame referee. I know what I'm doing. He always was asking questions about what he should do, how he should do it. And I always admired that about someone of his stature uh, going into that job. I also admired his bluntness. I mean, you know, whatever sport you're talking about, Steve Smoger, um, yeah, he, he was not afraid to criticize his former peers. Like if a referee was doing something wrong, Steve Smoger would point it out. If a judge, and Steve Smoger was, of course, a longtime judge as well. If a judge uh, submitted a bad scorecard, Steve Smoger wasn't going to protect him. I, I really liked that about him. I thought that added value to a broadcast. So boxing lost a luminary with Steve Smoger passing away this week. And uh, in general, Dan, uh, just a really good guy to be around. No doubt about it. Uh, I met Steve Smoger very early in my career. I covered a lot of fights that he was the referee in. I got to know him pretty well over the years. I didn't work with him on television the way you did, but we saw each other at fights on a regular basis. We always spent time with each other. But if we saw each other at the hotel, the casino, and, you know, we, it took, um, you know, over the years, we would email with each other about different things on a number of occasions. We had many, many conversations uh, over the years. He was just a great guy. And, you know, the, you know, when he was no longer really refereeing in later years, he was working with uh, one of the smaller sanctioning bodies, the IBA, and whenever they would have, he was acting as a supervisor uh, for those events and helping them out. And he would always uh, steadfastly email me uh, what their uh, the events were because he knew I like to keep a tidy schedule. And we would have our back and forth. And uh, again, we knew, you know, I knew him for 20 years probably. And and always, uh, and, and not just like, there's, you know how this business is, uh, Chris, you meet different people, you're friendly with them, but you're not like close to them but whenever you see them you're friendly but smoger and i always called him smoger so i'm not being disrespectful he called me danny one of the very few people allowed to call me danny in the world um we had a relationship that i think that went a little bit beyond just like seeing each other at fights because we did correspond on a regular basis and talk about a lot of things you know i had many conversations where i sat with him and and uh listened to him explain to me his philosophy about refereeing and you know, what he thought was a good stoppage, when's a bad stoppage, why he did what he did, how he studied the fighters beforehand, if he knew he was doing one of their main events to sort of understand their tendencies. One of the great things he ever talked about was how he was the referee for uh, uh, one of the fights I had covered, which was when Kelly Pavlik knocked out Jermaine Taylor. 
to become the middleweight champion. But Steve had also done the previous fight that Kelly Pavlik had, which was the elimination fight against Edison Miranda. And in the Edison Miranda fight, Kelly Pavlik was in all sorts of trouble at one point, and he came back. It was a great battle, and he ended up getting the victory. And so when he was going in to do the fight with uh, Taylor, when Jermaine Taylor knocked Kelly Pavlik down fairly hard in the second round of that fight, a lot of referees definitely would have stopped it at that moment. But because Smoger had spent time uh, studying Pavlik, having had done his previous fight, he understood his tendencies and sort of the way the, that he was as a fighter and made the appropriate decision that he didn't need to call that fight at the second round when the knockdown happened. And what happens? Kelly Pavlik storms back. He knocks out Jermaine Taylor later in that fight, becomes a middleweight champion. And if he stops that fight like lots of other people uh, did, you know, Kelly Pavlik's life is totally different probably. Um, he, he was the kind of referee that, you know, some people said he, he had a, a slow trigger to stop fights. You know, he did let guys fight. But what I liked about him is that I don't remember guys getting hurt in his fights, but he let the matches go to their natural conclusion. He had a great instinct of when the perfect time was to stop a fight. Uh, and I just thought he was a, a great referee. And there's a reason, Chris, real quick, there's a reason why he was the referee for a lot of fights that were great fights because he knew when to intervene and when not to. So he did two fights of the year, Emmanuel Augustus and Mickey Ward, Jurov against James Tony. He was in some other huge events, Trinidad and Hopkins and Mosley and Forrest won. And I could go on for a half an hour on the fights he did. Yeah, and I, I remember vividly that Taylor pavlik fight that was one of the first fights i ever covered and i was down in atlantic city for that fight and you mentioned the knockdown even after the knockdown pavlik was in trouble there there were times other referees would have stepped in and waved it off steve smoger to his credit let him go uh it, it did come with risks sometimes because sometimes you can let fights go on too long i, I remember talking to steve about you know the glenn tapia james kirkland fight that was a fight that you know steve i, I think will always regret like not stepping in about one punch earlier on, you know, Glenn Tapia there. It's just, you know, it's you want to give fighters every chance they can they have to fight their way back into a fight. But the risk that comes with it, it's just so dangerous that one punch could change a fight. But Steve Smoger was right far more out often than he was wrong. Just an, an unbelievably skilled referee. He probably would want that one back. Uh, and I'm not going to make excuses for it. But when you do like literally probably like a thousand fights, you know, 200 or so world title fights, you're not going to be perfect every single time the same way, you know, we're not Agreed. perfect story we write or everything we broadcast, but, you know, that's like basically one fight you could pick out of a ton of them. Uh, and, uh, and he probably would want that one back. But overall, just a brilliant referee. And by the way, the reason he's in the Hall of Fame, and it's been a tough month for referees with Steve passing. And of course, a couple of weeks ago, the passing of uh, the great Mills Lane, also another Hall of Fame referee. So uh, that's a rough one. I, I don't know what you're talking about, though, Dan. My scorecards are always perfect, and everybody always agrees with me. So, oh, me too. I, I wouldn't know the feeling. I wouldn't know the feeling on that. I, I never hear from zone watchers about uh, my scorecards. Um, all right, I want to jump into what's become a messy situation with the 140-pound title, at least the WBC's uh, version of it. Just a couple of months ago, really one month ago now, um, we had Regis Progre win the WBC's version of the title, becoming a two-time 140-pound uh, champion. Terrific performance uh, in that fight against uh, Jose Pedraza. Excellent performance. And Jose now Zepeda. he kind of looks... Jose Zapata, sorry, I just saw Pedraza. Um, the, uh, so looking at, at his future now, um, 
he was hoping to get a fight, his next fight, against Jose Ramirez. The WBC rules that the purse split is going to be 70-30 originally in favor of Regis Progre. That was altered to be 65-35. Ramirez, not happy with that, uh, has withdrawn from uh, negotiations for that fight. The WBC has ruled that uh, Progre can take a voluntary defense, though I don't know who Progre would fight at this point, nor do I think he wants a voluntary defense uh, at this point. Um, what do you make of, of Ramirez's decision to back out of this fight? It's disappointing. It's almost like they went into this conversation thinking, 65-35, huh? Like they had no idea what was going on, which is just not true, because the general consensus in the WBC uh, mandatory fights is a 60 as a it is typically a 70 30 split. There are many uh, occasions where they will amend the purse split and make it 65 35. Uh, occasionally they might boost it to 60 40, depending, but that's not the most common thing. And so people should remember first of all, a couple things about that, Chris. Number one, the purse split is just in the event that it goes to a purse split. There's nothing that says it has to be a certain percentage if the two sides during the course of their allowable time frame to do a private negotiation, come up with whatever formula they come up with. So that was only in the event if the teams couldn't make the deal. So they had every opportunity to make a deal. Uh, as you mentioned, Progre, I'm sure, would be have been happy to negotiate with them. And I feel like Top Rank, which is the promoter for Jose Ramirez, would have been willing to negotiate a deal as well. So I kind of find that to be a cop-out. They didn't go to a purse bid. They, it, doesn't, it doesn't feel like there was ever a true negotiation, number one. Number two, back before Regis Progre got the opportunity to fight Zapata for the vacant title, the fight that had been ordered when Josh Taylor vacated was to fill that vacancy between Jose Ramirez and Jose Zapata, which, was, which would have been a rematch of an extremely difficult fight that Jose Ramirez had when he was the WBC champion. A lot of people felt like Zapata was the winner of that fight. Nonetheless, uh, Jose Ramirez got the, got the victory. So under that scenario, it would have been, again, if it had gone to a purse, it would have been a 50-50 split. Now, so he, Jose Ramirez said, forget about it. I'm not fighting. I'm taking the rest of the year off. I'm getting married. The WBC has said, fine, you can have the next shot when you come back. You know, happy nuptials. And therefore, Regis got the opportunity to fight Zapata for the vacant title. He won the fight fair and square by knockout. Terrific performance. And now he's the WBC champion. And by the way, when you're the champion, champions have privileges. And that is generally getting the larger share of a purse when it goes to a purse bid. So for the team on Ramirez's side to act like this was a shock is just ridiculous. I mean, just say you don't want to do the fight. They would, they didn't want to do the fight five years ago or so when he ended up, uh, they maneuvered to get him ahead of Regis so he could fight the Amir Imam for the vacant title. Regis uh, took a, a fight with top rank and got paid well and then went into the tournament. But that fight should have happened a while ago. There's no reason it shouldn't have happened now. Again, I want to uh, make sure that people understand that the purse split was only if it went to a bid, not a private negotiation between the sides. There was good money in that fight for everybody. I feel like that Ramirez's team, not saying that the athlete was ducking or anything, but the management, maybe the promoter, I can't say for sure. They just weren't all that interested. So now, instead of, making, instead of making whatever the percentage was on a purse split or a private negotiation against Prograde, uh, Chris, he's going to headline an ESPN show in late March, probably against Richard Comey, in a fight that's meaningless, that I think stinks, that isn't going to be for a title. And 
he won't probably make as much money as he would have made if he was fighting Regis Progre. You can't have it both ways. He gave up the opportunity to wait one rotation, comes back. He's obviously going to get a smaller split as the non-champion in the fight. So it's very disappointing because now he's got a weak fight in March and Regis is sitting there looking for an opponent to fight and who the heck knows who it's going to be. It's very disappointing. Yeah, the, the whole thing is a mess. Um, I, I You made this point, and I agree with it. I don't believe that management, promoters, whoever is around Jose Ramirez wants this pro fight. I, I don't it's think they ever did. I don't think they want it now. Like, there's no reason for top rank not to go out and sign, you know, Regis Progre. Like, he is aligned with Probellum right now. But, like, that's sort of like a weird arrangement. I, I think that Progre is available to be signed to, like, a co-promotional type deal to work with. Them. Like, he, they could pick him up and do multiple fights with Regis Progre. But they don't want to do it. And because they don't want to do it, I think they want to keep these 140-pounders within their universe. That means Teofimo Lopez against the winner of Taylor Catterall, assuming Taylor wins, and then maybe Regis Progre fights the winner of that down the line. I just, I don't see any scenario where we get Ramirez against Progre. Um, so one thing I would say if you're Progre, like, call the bluff of Team Ramirez here. Like, if you're Regis Progre, how much does it really hurt you going up to 40%? And say, like, you said you do the fight at 40%. How much would it re- will you actually do it? Like, because if you're Regis Progre, I- again, I don't know who he's going to fight. Like, he's not going to get anybody on the top-ranked side of the ledger. There's nothing really for him in that matchroom Golden Boy universe right now. You're going to go overseas and maybe take a fight? No, I got an idea. Because I was, I was looking down the box rec rankings, trying to make heads or tails of who's available and who's doable. And there's two guys three guys actually that stood out to me as conceivable. I'm not saying they're going to happen. One was Sergey Lipinets, who's coming back down to 140. Oh. He was a former champion. Uh, he has a victory uh, over Omar Figueroa since the loss at welterweight. That's one name. Again, I'm not saying these are happening, but these are the guys that no stood out. like that, but yeah. Again, he's going to have to fight somebody. Um, and then there's two guys, uh, two other guys. Steve Spark coming off a nice win over Montana Love. If he doesn't do a rematch with Love, that might be a fight that Eddie Hearn might be interested to do. And the other one was another guy that Eddie Hearn signed. Could do maybe Richardson Hitchens, uh, you know, at some point. Those are those are three names. If you look at the top, you know, 20 fighters listed on BoxRec in the 140-pound weight class that seem conceivable, not completely ridiculous, who, and guys who are not otherwise occupied or in uh, business scenarios where it doesn't make any sense. But I agree with you about one thing that, and I don't think it was top rank. I think honestly, it's the management, and maybe it's Ramirez himself. They just didn't want to fight Regis Progre unless they could get every single thing their way. Because let's just be honest, and I, I have nothing against Ramirez or his team. I know them a long time. I like them, but everybody who follows boxing knows at this moment in time, Regis Progre probably wipes Jose Ramirez out. Yeah, I don't. I don't know about that. I, I don't. I, I think he'd go in as the favorite. I, I'd have to think more about you know, where Ramirez is. I mean, Ramirez, you know, every time you kind of count Ramirez out, he does something pretty good. Like, I, I thought he'd lose to Hooker, frankly, you know, a couple of years ago. He wound up knocking him out, and he took Josh Taylor, you know, to, to the bitter end. I mean, that was a good fight. I don't, like, he, he, the, the greater point in all this is this is a fight know your, know your that could theoretically... Yeah, no, your that... splits ahead of time, but this is a fight that could still theoretically be cobbled together. It, it could be put together. Like, I think that top rank 
would love it if Matchroom got in the Regis Prograde business and bid for this fight and said, we'll, just like with Hooker and Ramirez, Matchroom comes in and says, we'll pay you X million dollars to bring Ramirez over. I think Match- Top Rank would do it there. I just don't think Top Rank is looking to invest, what, five, six million dollars in a fight like this? I, I just don't think they're willing to do it at this point. The, the other part of this, Dan, you, you and I both know Rick Merigian, the manager of Jose Ramirez well. I like him, done an excellent job with Jose building him up in that Fresno area. If you're Rick, you can't complain about the preposterousness of this purse split for Jose Ramirez and how we should never do it. A week after you took 25% for Virgil Ortiz to fight Stan Ionis. Like, you can't do it. Now, the reason he wasn't kvetching about Virgil Ortiz and Stanionis is that he knows that Golden Boy, if they hustle and do the fight in Texas, can probably squeeze another half a million dollars out of a gate and give that to Virgil Ortiz. As big a draw as Ramirez is in Fresno, there's zero dollars there. There's no money. That live gate is not significant. Certainly not as significant as Texas or Los Angeles or Vegas. It does. It's great on TV. Save Mart Arena, great fun, but you're not doing a big enough number to make up the difference 100%. for Jose Ramirez. I, damn, I, I just thought, I'm just sitting there, I'm like reading some of Rick's comments and and he and our pal Sam Kakovsky got to get off Twitter. Like, stop just t- talking about, just stop. Twitter's not the place to, to legislate all this or adjudicate all this. Uh, I just find it hilarious that Rick's out there saying 35% is too low, but you just took 25. Like, what are we doing here? What are we talking about right now? Well, you're absolutely right. They do big numbers in terms of the butts and seats, but those butts and seats don't translate to the dollars. So I always like to use the example when people talk about the the the, the gate slash the number of people. Would you rather be, you know, Floyd Mayweather, Manny Pacquiao fighting at the MGM Grand Garden Arena in front of 16,500 or so and the gate's 75 million, or would you rather be Anthony Joshua and Vladimir Klitschko fighting in front of 90,000 at Wembley Stadium and the gate's around 10, 12 million dollars. You know what I mean? You'd rather have 16,000 and make 75 million or 90,000 and get 10, 12 million. So that's a, that's exactly what happens. The numbers of people that turn out for Jose uh, is a lot. And, you know, more power to him. He's got a great fan base. It's a very blue collar area and they don't have high ticket prices, which is good for the folks that are there that want to go support him, but it doesn't bring in the money. And you're absolutely right about the situation with Virgil Ortiz. And I must also say, going back a couple of minutes, an outstanding usage of the word vetching. <laughs> I mean, it's just hilarious. I can't, I can't wrap my head around this. Like, it's like you're expecting us not to have two separate trains of thoughts. Like 35% too low, 25%. We're good. We're in. I don't, well, I don't quite understand that. Expect- I would say this one other thing, Dan, one, one other thing, like, I would I actually think it's a good idea for Eddie Hearn to get the program business because Eddie's going to get Devin Haney back at some point. I don't know when it's going to happen, but Devin Haney's going to go back to matchroom. Those two, there's like a bromance with those two that Eddie will make it worth his while. He's got all this money in Abu Dhabi in 2023. He can give some of it to Devin Haney to fight over there. He's going to get Devin Haney back at some point. Ryan Garcia is going to remain in the Golden Boy universe for at least the next couple of years. He'll be at 140. Like, you can do something with Regis Progre at 140 if you're Eddie Hearn. I think it makes business sense for Eddie Hearn to get in the Progre business. Yeah, I mean, that's that's not out of the realm of possibility. And, you know, when anytime you have one of the best fighters in the weight class and you have a world title associated with that fighter, if you're a promoter, 
you should want to be in that business. Um, you know, the problem with ProBellum at the moment is that they just don't have the outlet for broadcast, which makes it very difficult to pay your fighters top dollar or to put on these big events because ProGray is now at a level in terms of his pay where they can't just go do a small show in the UK, for example. Um, that's, on you know, when, when uh, the fight that he did with Zapata was surprisingly won by Marv Nation, backed by Legends Entertainment to do the pay-per-view, they were able to just put it on a pay-per-view platform. But obviously that would have been a fight much better served in front of a larger audience, either on Showtime or on ESPN or on Zone or something where the normal subscriber could just watch that fight. Because don't get me wrong, it's a really good fight. But I think most, here's the here's what the general uh, comment to me was when that fight was made on my various social media platforms, which was, oh, is the Peta versus Progress? That's a hell of a fight. I can't wait to see that. 60 bucks on pay-per-view? Mm, no thanks. So they liked the fight, but the fact it was on pay-per-view and at a fight cost that was that most people felt was too high was was a, a dooming element of that fight, which is why the pay-per-view, you know, ultimately did very, very poorly, despite the fact that they did a good job with the undercard and a good job with the production and a, you know, they they did a first class promotion. But it was too much, uh, uh, too expensive. It was not on the greatest date, uh, a pay-per-view on uh, the Saturday of Thanksgiving weekend is not necessarily the ideal time to, you know, get people to bony up for a pay-per-view. But yeah, Regis Progre is, and it's not a knock on Probellum, but he needs to be with a promoter that has a broadcast outlet because Regis is an excellent fighter who should be in the main event on big shows. And maybe he can work himself up to being a legitimate pay-per-view guy, but he's not that guy yet. And just so we're clear, uh, Ramirez Comey is a bad fight. It is a bad, 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 bad fight. It is not a fight worthy of headlining a main event on a significant card. Richard Comey is one, two, and one in his last four fights. He was blasted out by Teofimo Lopez. He was beaten pillar to post by Vasily Lomachenko. And I'm sorry, I'm not going to get excited about the fact that he had a draw against Jose Pedraza. That doesn't tell me that he still has something left. This is a bad fight. I don't know how much clearer we need to be. It should not be a ESPN televised main event. I mean, if you want to make the fight, fine. But again, I don't think it as I don't think of it as a main event, particularly when it's taking the place of the potential of the pro gray fight. So, like you, like you said, I'm just uh, nothing. Richard Comey's a good dude, and he's had a good career and and all that. But I, I mean, but he's got to do Dan. He's got to he's got to do he's got to do what he did after those back to back losses to Robert Easter and to Shafikov. He went out, he won what four or five fights in a row before the Lopez fight. He won a belt. Like he rebuilt himself and made himself viable for that Teofimo Lopez fight right now. He's not viable. He's not, he looks like it. And he's fighting at a weight class above what he was at his best at. So I don't, I, I can't go into that fight. Think it's going to be remotely competitive. That's my biggest problem with it. I don't think Comey would be competitive against Ramirez. There's just no real reason to do the fight. I mean, I, I, I cannot get excited about that one at all. And it's, you know, like I like each fighter. I like Ramirez. I like Comey. But the match just feels like we already know the result. I mean, unless he lands that Hail Mary punch on Ramirez, who's always showing himself to have a good chin anyway, you, you already know what's going to happen. I can tell you right now, that fight's like, you know, eight rounds to two, you know, going to the scorecards. You know, write it down. Yeah, I'm with you on that one. All right, let's move on to uh, some of the chatter going on between Ryan Garcia and Tank Davis. Uh, Tank Davis had a media workout in Miami this week. Of course, the subject of Ryan Garcia comes up. Ryan, of course, has elected not to go ahead 
with a stay-busy fight against Marcito Gesta instead to just keep training to go on to the uh, the fight against Tank, presumably for mid-April, though we'll see what happens with Tank over these next couple of months. Um, let's start with Ryan's decision not to take the stay-busy fight. We've heard some criticisms from people like Golden Boy, from Oscar De La Hoya himself. Uh, what did you make of Ryan deciding not to fight Gesta? I thought it was a very mature decision and the right decision. I told Ryan that myself. You know, Ryan and I uh, occasionally will text with one another. I told him that I thought it was a good decision and that it was a mature decision. In my mind, when you do tune-up fights, bad things happen. And you, we have a hard enough time in this sport making them big mega fight. Ryan Garcia fought two times in 2022. He's not going to be coming off some wacky layoff. Uh, you know, if he's in the gym training with his trainer, Joe Goosen, there's absolutely no reason why he has to have a fight that does nothing for him other than get him some money, I guess. Uh, and let's just be frank about this reason, that Golden Boy is upset that there's no fight. Uh, Oscar De La Hoya has made remarks about it. Eric Gomez, the president of Golden Boy, uh, made comments to me that I used in the story that I wrote about that. Now, maybe from the competitive point of view, Oscar, as a former world champion boxer, Hall of Famer, thinks it was a good idea to have a tune-up fight the way he did when he, like before he fought Chavez, for example, and they fought together on the same card. But I think more specifically, they need the money that they're going to generate from a Ryan Garcia event. Golden Boy doesn't have a lot going on right now. They didn't have a big year in 2022. And Ryan Garcia is by far and away their biggest moneymaker and biggest name. So of course they're disappointed that he's not going to fight. But I feel like Ryan Garcia, as long as he's going to train and be in shape, not taking the interim fight was the wise thing to do. Because anything can happen. Um, and, you know, and, and conversely, I'm not knocking Tank Davis for tanking, for taking his interim fight against Jose. Against, I'm impressed uh, by Lee. it. I actually think that's a much tougher fight than I anticipated when he announced he was going to fight prior to this uh, showdown with Ryan Garcia. So I see both sides of the coin. But I don't think that, that Golden Boy should be criticizing Ryan Garcia. It's his career. It's his life. He's not like he's backing out of the the fight against Gervonta Davis, that's the fight he wants. Ryan, and you know Ryan also, you've done many of his fights uh, with the zone. Ryan is the type of athlete and has a type of personality where unless he's motivated for something, it's hard for him to get up for the fight. Not all boxers are like that. Some guys can get up for the lesser fights. For Ryan, he needs to be pushed. He needs to be motivated. Tank Davis, a guy he's been calling out for like two years, that motivates him. Fighting Mercedo Hesta in a fight where we already know what the outcome is, is not motivate him. So, let him go get his, uh, you know, his skills sharp, sharpened up in the gym and, you know, do the road work, get in shape and, and focus on Davis and fight that big mega fight in April. He doesn't need to fight in January just for whatever reason, just so his promoters can make some money. Oh, yeah. If this fight was going to be at the 136 pound limit that the Tank Davis fight uh, is scheduled to be at, I would understand it to a certain degree. Um, it could almost operate kind of as a staging ground for you know Ryan to get ready, make that weight in a healthy manner, um, and then do it that way. But this was going to be at a full-fledged 140, and so there's no upside there. Um, and as far as the finances go, Ryan's not going to miss that money. Ryan's not. Ryan makes a lot of money outside the ring. He's not going to miss whatever he was going to make for the Mercedes Gesta fight. He's doing just fine uh, financially with everything he's got going on. Uh, outside of social media following alone generates a lot of money for him. So it's not an issue of money for him. And look, if he and Joe Goosen believe it's better for him to stay in the gym for an extra couple of months to just hone in on Gervonta Davis, then I I'll take their word for it. I, I agree with you. I think Davis deserves all the credit in the world, not just for taking a fight before a mega fight against Ryan Garcia, but for taking on someone as 
challenging as uh, Hector Luis Garcia. I mean, it's a guy coming off two big wins in 2022. He beat Chris Colbert. He beat Roger Gutierrez. I think Bob Santos, his trainer, has a case to be made to be trainer of the year this year. This is a real fight for Javante Davis on January 7th. One that could derail a multi-multi-million dollar fight against Ryan Garcia, but he's going through it and through with it and deserves uh, credit for it. But at the same time, I'm with you. Ryan doesn't deserve any criticism for saying uh, he doesn't want to fight. My issue with Tank is this nonsense he keeps spewing about Ryan testing or Ryan being on PEDs. Like you can't just you can't just throw that shit into the universe. You can't. Like more importantly, like not only has Ryan said I'll do advanced testing for our fight. Golden Boy said the same thing. There still is no contract yet for Garcia versus Tank in April. That's still on the PBC side of the ledger. But when that comes through, both Golden Boy and Garcia have told me that they want advanced testing for that fight. So I don't know why. Like it's like Tank no. sees one picture of Ryan on social media and he's like, "All right, well, this guy's definitely doing something." I don't even know where that came from because you know you and I both know there are certain guys where the rumors are always been that you know maybe they're using and maybe it looks like they're using. Ryan Garcia was never one of those guys where like even I mean you never know for sure what goes on behind the gym doors or whatever with any of these guys uh but he was he was not somebody that would come to my mind that was using PEDs I just don't I just don't buy that really and I, but to bring that up with zero credibility or or shred of evidence is low class and not called for you want to you know insult his mother or you know, tell him he's this or he's that, you know, that's all grist for the mill when you're promoting a, a fight and you maybe not love the guy you're going to be fighting against. But to throw those type of allegations out there to me is just not called for at all. And, you know, I would just ignore it, to be honest with you. Yeah, it's, I mean, maybe, look, maybe he's trying to play a middle mind game with Ryan Garcia. I, I don't know. Or maybe, or maybe it is just as simple as he looked at a picture of him and said, wow, he looks a lot bigger than I'm used to. Ryan, of course, is still, what, 24 years old at this point? So, yeah, lot, his body is going to keep growing. Right? Yeah, he's, he's, look, he's 5'9", five, 5'10", five, so, like, he's a big guy. So, he's eventually going to put on more weight. And, look, Tank's going to have the advantage at 136. Ryan's going to have to squeeze down. And I think that's going to be a big variable for when they fight. How healthy will Ryan Garcia be when he gets down to 136? If he's drained and just barely making it, that's going to be a factor in their fight. It's going to be well, a real weapon or an advantage for Tank Davis. He made 135 for the recent fights he had this year, and I don't think he looked. Well, bad no, he didn't. He didn't. Tago, Tago, Tago was 138, I think, because that yeah, was his first true. fight in 15 months, and he could have made. He says he could have made 135 for Fortuna, but Fortuna said no. We got to do it at 140. It's not the full 135. It's 136. He's done it before. He's got plenty of time to do it safely. He's got plenty of money to have a nutritionist to make sure that he's able to do it. Uh, with no problem. And and I like I said, I will just go back to what I said at the beginning. I feel like he made a mature decision to focus on the tank fight and not take the interim fight. Now he's just got to hope that come January 7th that Tank Davis is successful against Garcia, as we've talked about. Not the easiest fight in the world. And by the way, he may have kind of come out of nowhere, Garcia, but he is undefeated. He was an Olympian, and he's got, like you said, two great upsets in a row uh, that people didn't really give him a chance to win. And he's he's earned the shot about Davis, I mean, against Davis. And what I like about uh, Hector Luis Garcia is that after he beat Gutierrez in, you know, this past summer, he automatically right after, like within days of that fight was calling out Tank Davis. I'll go up to 135 mm -hmm. and fight him. If he wants to come down to 130 and challenge me for my title, no problem. He, he's wanted this fight uh, as soon as he got uh, that belt 
He may have even wanted it before he got the belt. So he's motivated and hungry for this fight. And he also knows the kind of chaos that he can uh, deal out to these guys if he derails uh, Javon to Tank Davis. Yeah, it's not the same thing, but th- there could be a little Bevel Canelo vibe to it in a way. Like, are we are we discounting Hector Luis Garcia coming into this fight? I mean, Garcia physically is the bigger guy. Not that that's ever been a problem for Tank before, but he's not coming in this undersized guy who's just going to get swarmed and overwhelmed. I think this is a good fight. I'm looking forward to it uh, on January 7th. All right. Last weekend, we had a terrific fight on Showtime. Frank Martin, he beats Michelle Rivera. This was viewed, Dan, coming in as a 50-50 type of fight or maybe 60-40 in favor of Martin. It was like 95-5 in favor of Martin when it was over. He drops Rivera in the seventh round. He wins a lopsided decision. Uh, I thought it was an incredibly impressive performance by Frank Martin that made me believe he's ready for a lot of a lot of things next year at 135 pounds. What did you think? I agree with everything you said. I've liked Frank Martin for the last couple of years since I've seen him on some undercards going back probably two years ago. Um, I've been impressed by him. He has a good amateur background. He has obviously a good team behind him, you know, training with Derek James and being at the at the side of Errol Spence and uh, Charlo in the training camp. So he's got that going for him. He's also not uh, 22 years old. He's already like 27. So he's, uh, as a person, more mature. And it just looked like when you watch him, like this guy's going places in a pretty – a good way that they didn't have to give him 20, 25 fights to get him prepared. He, he, you know, he's still in, in the teens in terms of his total number of bouts, but they're willing to move quickly. He wants to move quickly. And he showed against Rivera that there was a reason for that. And by the way, Rivera, who's younger than he was, uh, you know, didn't shy away from taking this kind of fight either. So I give both guys credit. Listen, Frank Martin, when it was all said and done, he did exactly what he said he was going to do. He went in there and he took a good fighter and he completely shut him down and he won, you know, at worst, nine rounds probably, uh, but in reality, probably won 10 or 11 rounds. I mean, it was just a, a really good performance. Like you said, he had the knockdown. He is now from what we thought as a, say, prospect slash rising uh, up-and-comer, or, you know, fringe contender, whatever. He made himself with that victory, combined with some of the other solid victories he's had before that. He's now a legitimate top 10 type contender in the lightweight division, which has a lot of talent in it. Um and and he's going to be in position for some good things next year. He's got, you know, uh, uh, the victory against Rivera, which was a a uh, title eliminator for the WBA belt. You know, he could be called as a mandatory for Tank Davis at some point or the winner of Tank Davis against Garcia, um, you know, also PBC fighter. So he's going to have some business, definitely. I and mean, it's uh, he's going to be involved in some important fights. And um, I'm a fan. He does everything. I don't really see – you tell me if I'm wrong, Chris – do you see any glaring weakness in his game? He's got good offense. He's got good defense. He's got good uh, smarts in his mind. You know, he knows the ring. He's got good amateur background. He's got good footwork. He's got quick hands. He's got quick feet. Uh, you know, good enough power. I, I just don't really see, like, you tell me what's the discernible weakness, and I don't see it. No, I don't, I don't, I don't think there was a discernible weakness, at least not one I could find in that fight against Rivera. Shout out to Errol Spence for – you know, actually having a real fighter in his stable. I mean, oftentimes, you know this, Dan, you got these fighters with their promotional companies that don't really have either any fighters or credible fighters. And Frank Martin is a credible fighter, you know, fighting um, in Errol Spence's uh, promotional stable. Um, I just think he's really good. I think he's really good. I-, I like what's being talked about for what's next. I think Chris Colbert is a good next step for him. Someone that's been a title holder, albeit at a division below. But... You know, someone a little bit more experienced, someone with a name 
That's the kind of fight that Frank Martin needs while the 135-pound division kind of sorts it out. I mean, you mentioned Tank and his secondary belt, but eventually we both know whenever Haney-Lomachenko happens, if Haney wins, those belts are all going to get fractured all over again. Even if Lomachenko wins, they might get fractured all over again, and there'll be opportunities for Frank Martin to fight for titles. I think he's ready for him. I think by by this time next year, uh, I think he's going to be ready for a world championship shot. I think he's the real deal. Everything you mentioned, I agree with. Speed, power, ring IQ. Uh, he dominated that fight, start to finish. And, you know, Rivera's not a pushover. Like, I, I'm with you. I give Rivera a ton of credit for taking that fight. I'm not going to criticize him or dismiss him for losing that fight. I hope he gets another date on Showtime at some point in the next uh, three or four months. Uh, but Frank Martin's the goods. He's the real deal. There's no doubt about it. I think he's ready right now to fight anybody in the lightweight division. Yeah. I would agree with that. Um, all right, last thing. Uh, Anthony Joshua, I don't know if he's still in the U.S. He was in the U.S. He's been making the rounds on the trainer circuit again. Uh, most recently spotted with Derek James, of course, the trainer for Errol Spence, Jamel Charlo, among others. Uh, one of the best trainers in all of boxing. Um, I don't know which way Anthony Joshua is leaning at this point. Is he going to try somebody completely new? Is he going to keep certain members of his team? You never know with this guy what's going to happen with Joshua. But what do you think of a Anthony Joshua, Derek James pairing? Derek James has proven himself to be one of the best trainers in the sport. He's the only trainer in boxing right now that has two unified champions, one of whom is undisputed in Charlo. He obviously also has Spence with the three titles. Uh, you know, the fighters do the do the work in the ring, but, you know, the trainer is the guy that helps put that game plan in, make sure the guy's ready to go mentally, physically, knows the X's, knows what they're supposed to do. So Derek would be a great choice. To me, it's always about what's the interaction like between the fighter and the trainer. Uh, and I've always said that to a degree, trainers are a little bit overrated. It's all about does the boxer believe in the trainer? So if Anthony Joshua is uh, not satisfied with what occurred with his relationship with Robert Garcia and he's looking to move on, that's his decision. But from my point of view on the outside watching what occurred, I know he lost the fight to Usyk. But I thought that Anthony Joshua fought as well against Usyk in that loss that he had in the previous fight in the loss to Usyk as well as some of his other victories. I felt like there was a real chance to have a building thing with Robert Garcia there and that he probably should have kept him. And it would have reminded me of was uh, the great trainer, uh, my long departed friend, the great Emmanuel Stewart. He hooked up with Vladimir Klitschko uh, when he was at the low moment of his career. And in their first fight together, he lost against Lehman Brewster by knockout uh, in a vacant WBO heavyweight title fight. And, a lot of people thought, well, you know, he lost that fight. His career's down the, down the drain again. He's going to find a new trainer yet again and get rid of Emmanuel because he didn't win that first fight with him. He didn't get rid of Emmanuel. They stayed together. He came back. He ultimately defeated Samuel Peter in an excellent performance. He went on to win a world title against Chris Bird and then ended up making, you know, 18 title defenses. Now, Emmanuel obviously passed away at the tail end of his title reign, but they were together for a long time. And together, they helped build him into one of the great heavyweight champions in the history of boxing. And if he had gotten rid of him after that one loss, you know, who knows what would have happened to him. And I'm not saying that Anthony Joshua is going to reach the level that Klitschko did, even though he beat Klitschko back several years ago. But losing with Robert Garcia in your corner in the first fight and fighting as well as he did made me think, well, you know, there's something they can build on. Robert Garcia has a long track record, longer than most trainers in this sport, of being a top, top uh, trainer. He's been a world champion himself as a, as a professional. And so I actually was disappointed that he's going to part ways with Robert Garcia. I felt like they probably should have stayed together. Now, if there was some kind of issue that I'm not aware of that was going on in the camp or in that fight, then so be it. But from the outside, that seemed like an unusual match 
match to start with. But when you watch what actually the result was in the ring, you're like, you know what? That might work. Obviously, Anthony Joshua was not satisfied. He's looking around. But, you know, he he did that the last time. He worked with Robert Garcia. He went and worked with, you know, I guess Virgil Hunter and with Ronnie Shields and, you know, other uh, maybe Buddy McGirt might have been another one. Maybe he worked with Derek before uh, getting ready uh, to make the decision the last time. I don't know. But they're all good trainers. But at some point, at some point, Anthony Joshua has to look at himself. He's the guy that lost the fights, not the trainer. And he's got to come to grips with that. And I'm not sure he's done that quite yet. I agree with you. Um, one thing I would add, like, is Anthony Joshua finally prepared to move to the U.S. to train for a fight? Because I don't think Derek James is going to the U.K. with Jermel Charlo training for a January 28th fight, with Errol Spence presumably training for a March, April, or May fight. Like, these are his guys. He's not waving goodbye to them so we can go and train Frank Anthony Martin. Joshua. <laughs> Frank, Frank Martin exactly. also, I mean... And these guys aren't going to pick up and pack and go to, you know, Anthony Joshua's gym to train for a couple of months. That ain't going to happen. And by the way, same thing with Robert Garcia, who's going into a big year with Bam Rodriguez. He's got Josh Franco fighting on New Year's Eve. Like, he's got some other fighters, of course, Ramirez. Um, he's, got, he's got guys. So, like, Anthony Joshua, I think the biggest question is Anthony Joshua willing to leave his comfort zone? Because I've always said that's a big thing here. Like, not just changing trainers, finding a voice that works, but getting out of the UK. He's so well-known in the UK. He's a superstar over there. He comes over here. Nobody knows who he is. I mean, let's just be honest. Like, they don't. Like, he, you know, he works out in, you know, where is, what is that? The Dallas area? They they probably wonder, is is that, like, the a linebacker for the Cowboys? Right. A big 6'5 muscle guy. Like, is he here? Like, they don't know. Like, they, he's not this known commodity. He can walk down the street with a measure of anonymity. And I think that's good for Anthony Joshua. Yeah. I was just going to say that I think that would be good for him to go to a place where, you know, when he gets up and he goes for a coffee, he's not going to be hassled or stopped by anybody. He can go into his own, uh, uh, you know, privacy, do his thing. Uh, you know, and I understand that there's part of him that probably enjoys, you know, with the ego of being recognized where you go and having people stop you and, and shaking your hand. It's not and working. You how great. Correct. So I think that there's something to be said for that. If he's, if he's so insistent on having an American trainer, in other words, you don't hear him making the rounds and looking at other, you know, it's not like he went, I mean, I don't know this, but he's not heard that he's, oh, I'm going to go work out with, uh, you know, Shane McGuigan, or I'm going to go work out with uh, this trainer, or I'm going to go out, you know, and work with Joe Gallagher. You know, he's not making the rounds for the UK uh, top trainers. It's always been about coming to the United States to to feel out who the top trainers are in the United States. So it would make sense that if he's going to do that, to might as well train here if you're going to make that commitment. Because as you said, I don't see Derek James packing up from his gym and, and the great fighters he has. And look, Robert Garcia made the, the uh, you know, he he made that concession and went and trained Anthony for the most part, preparing for Usyk in the UK for that fight. But I don't think he would do that necessarily permanently because, like you said, he's got lots of other fighters. He was able to be in a situation where he's got his assistants and his son that can also work with uh, the fighters that they have. But I'm going to go back to what I said originally. This is not about the trainer. Any of those trainers that he that he could select, whether he stays with Robert, or he goes with. Derek James, or maybe he decided to ask Buddy McGirt or Virgil Hunter, all the guys that we've talked about, Ronnie Shields, I mean, all great trainers. He's got to look at himself. He's the one that lost these fights. It's not the trainer that can fight for him. And I think that Joshua, who I love, I've always liked Anthony Joshua, both as a fighter and as a person, he's going through some stuff mentally where he's just not sure, can I still be an elite heavyweight? And uh, he's, you know, he, he if you really want to get down to it, he hasn't really quite been the same since the fight against Klitschko, which he won, but he had 
some extremely rocky moments, got dropped and and uh, was able to come back. But that was a, in my opinion, sort of a career altering fight in some regard. And uh, it, I still don't think it, that it was. <laughs> Dan, it, it was. It was in the sense that he went to people in Matchroom and said, I don't want to fight like this anymore. Like, I don't want to be in wars in the ring after the Klitschko fight. That absolutely changed him. I mean, people voted the Ruiz fight, the first one, as changing him. And maybe it did. But the the Klitschko fight was first. Even though he won that fight, that had a fundamental change on him. And now he's got to decide what kind of fighter is he going to be? And, and am I willing to put the work in to try to get back to the top and not having alibis and blaming other people? When you change trainers... After a loss, it, it, it appears uh, the way, at least from the outside, that it's an alibi that you're blaming the trainer because you lost. When, in fact, if you ask anybody that has a clue about boxing, they will tell you that even though he lost that fight against Usyk, who was always going to be a difficult matchup for him, that he fought better under the tutelage of Robert Garcia in that match than he did in a number of his previous fights. So I thought they did a good job. I felt like there was something to build on. And, and, and Joshua's made the decision that he doesn't want to build on it. His prerogative, I'm not going to be critical of that, but look within to see what the problem is, not about who you're around. Yeah, I think he needs some consistency too. Like find a trainer, pick a trainer, work with the trainer, hopefully work with the trainer outside of the UK so you can really lock in on these remaining three years. Really this year, this is the biggest year, I think, of Anthony Joshua's career coming up with some crossroads, career-defining uh, types of fights. Uh, Dan, always good to catch up, man. Happy Hanukkah, happy Festivus, Merry Christmas, all those good things to you and to your family. And I'll see you uh, very soon. I appreciate it, Chris. Thank you so much. And uh, you have your good, have yourself a great holiday also. And when we come back, former junior welterweight title holder, Jose Ramirez. Hey guys, this is Matt Jones, Drew Franklin from the Fade This Podcast. We got a great episode coming up, picks in all the sports, football, basketball, we do them all. But here's a preview of this week's episode. Nothing to do with anyone personally. But Creighton is the team every year that the nerds, you know, the basketball nerds, are like, you know, who's ready to get to Creighton? You don't watch Creighton. They play. And I'm like, I don't want to watch Creighton because I agree with Shane and the dude today. Creighton's never going to win anything. Stop talking to me about Creighton. They're not never the, not gonna, the not the Big East tournament. They're, well, I mean, they could maybe they win the Big East tournament, but it'll only be luck. But like, they're always like, you know, a sleeper team. That cool. Like that guy who I told you had eight title teams. One of his title teams was Creighton. Is not winning the national championship. It's yeah, I don't not, have him doing that. That like that's why do we all have to act like Creighton is a, is a is a good team? Creighton's like the band. They all say you should know if you really knew bands. <laughs> And then they're never at any of those. And then they're never, yeah, exactly. And it comes time for the Grammys, and they lose out to, like, you know, Lil Durk. And you're like, see, I knew Lil Durk was better. Why are you, t- why are you telling me? see the whole time. <laughs> and this episode was brought to you in partnership with DraftKings. To hear more, listen and subscribe to Fade This on iHeartRadio or wherever you listen to podcasts. Busy weekends are a breeze with American Express Platinum Card. 8 a.m., wait to board plane in the Centurion Lounge. <sighs> Much better. 2 p.m., grab seats for the game. Come on, pick and roll! 6 p.m., book an exclusive reservation with Resi Global Dining Access. Right this way. Because the American Express Platinum Card offers access to the Centurion Lounge, must-see live events, and exclusive reservations at renowned restaurants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Terms apply. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. 
featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Santa Barkley is back, and this year he's giving a new FanDuel customer exactly what you asked for. Unwrap the gift of no sweat first bet up to $2,500 back in free bets when you sign up with the promo code boxing. That's up to $2,500 back if your first bet doesn't win. Now is the perfect time to give FanDuel a shot. The app is easy to use. They're always giving you great promotions. And when you win, you'll get paid instantly. I am a big fan of betting on two things on FanDuel. One, boxing matches. You hear my picks every single week on this podcast. And as a basketball guy, I make a lot of bets on FanDuel, quite frankly. Maybe too many bets at this point of my life. So see for yourself why FanDuel is America's number one sportsbook and get in on the holiday spirit with a no-sweat first bet up to $2,500 back in free bets from Santa Barkley when you sign up with promo code BOXING. All right, Jose Ramirez is the former 140-pound champion. And ordinarily, I'd be talking to Jose before a big fight. He's been involved in a number of big fights over the last couple of years. The World Boxing Super Series, where he was the runner-up, lost a close, tough fight to Josh Taylor. Um, You know, he fought Maurice Hooker in a terrific fight back in 2019. So he's been involved in a lot of big fights over the last few years. But we're talking right now because... There's a fight that's not happening, specifically Jose Ramirez against Regis Prograd. I want to unpack some things with Jose because when negotiations fall apart, Jose, yeah, guys get on Twitter and you've got managers battling back and forth and everybody seems to kind of get confused over what actually happened um, with uh, with these uh, the breakdown of talks between you and Regis Progress. So start there from your perspective. What's happened over the last week or so that has led to your decision and your team's decision not to go forward with a fight against Regis Progray? Yeah, well, first first and foremost, uh, you know, the team is, is aware and my manager is aware that, that I still haven't made a decision clearly to, to walk away from this fight. You know, um, I, I, you know I, uh, I believe I could be Regis Progress. I believe that I'm one of the strongest, stronger fighters in the one forty. You know, you see me fought, fought Hooker up close, and and uh, my style of boxing is not just come forward. You know, I I have a, a I have a, a, a an experience in the amateur since the amateurs second to none. You know, became an Olympian for over two hundred amateur fights, beat a lot of lot of styles, a lot of different styles. Uh, being an aggressive sort of you know Mexican style, come forward, no defense. You you don't you don't become an Olympian for Team USA having that type of style. You know you gotta learn how to box and how to hit and not get hit, especially when you're only fighting three rounds. You know usually uh, old style uh, old old school style Mexican boxing usually you know it works out on the professionals because you have twelve rounds 
to break down a fighter, not not through. Usually, a lot of fighters that have that style are struggling the first couple rounds, and because of the well conditioned and other aspects and other characteristics that they might have as a fighter, um, they end up winning the fight. You know, uh, I'm not that case. You know, I have I have I have a great boxing. Uh, I believe I have a great boxing style that that you know, and great power and and my size and I'm I'm physical physically strong. You know, uh, even even the on my undisputed fight with Josh Taylor, it wasn't my best performance. I think it wasn't the Jose Ramirez that I know I could be. Um, and if you score the fight by the rounds, um, it was still a very very close fight. Um, the first five rounds almost like. I had the same feeling the first five rounds as 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 the feeling when I fought Hooker, it's, you know it's it's only a matter of a couple more rounds and and uh, I, I'm gonna take it to the next I'm gonna take it to the next gear, you know my my problem with 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 Taylor is I made one one mistake and the mistake was when we're in a clinch the referee you know tapped my 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 elbow because I'm a very respectful fighter kind of clean fighter, you know I was gonna I was gonna step back now when I was gonna step back there was an uppercut that came in. It took me, uh, well, at, the, at the moment, I'm a fighter. I'm thinking I'm, I'm thinking I'm okay. From going back and looking at the fight, yeah, yes, I could tell it took me a couple more rounds to get my legs under me, right? So I, I gave, I gave, I gave away first and foremost that that knockdown. It was a 10-8 round, and I gave away another two rounds after that. You know, but I finished strong. Um, another thing that I that I was well, my mistake in the fight was um, the way I, I did my weight cut. Uh, it wasn't the, the best way. So sometimes you know. When you're a little behind, when you need to rehydrate, uh, last minute, and you don't rehydrate properly, so to where you're you're all balanced a little bit, you know, you're all balanced a little bit, a little bit, and your body's a little fatigued. Um, but anyway, anyways, moving forward. With that said, I just want to make it very clear. I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid to face no one for no one. I want for. I I believe I could beat them all, you know. And I think anybody to beat me, they have to really sweat it, really sweat. And if you there was an interview interview with Josh Taylor when they asked me who. Uh, what do you think about Regis and, and Jose? And he said, well, Jose is definitely the strongest physical fighter. And he could tell, you know, you could, you know if, if you're in front of me, you will tell if you sparred with me. Those who have sparred throughout my whole career, Manny Pacquiao, Miguel Cotto, uh, man, I, I, you know, they know that I, I, I bring it. Now, the difference between me when I was, when I first became a world champion in 2018 against Samir Mon when I made $125,000, $150,000 for my first world title, you know, you, you, you were not aware of the business. You, you, you were not really aware of the value of what you bring to the table. You tend, you tend to learn that as you, as you go, and you know, you tend to realize that boxing is your business, and you gotta, you gotta take care of your business. Now, unfortunately, unfortunately, you start learning about politics, politics as well. You know, and we just he signed with a promoter that doesn't have a network behind that promoter, Probellum. Probellum does not make business with Top Rank at all. Now, now this this split came uh, at at seventy thirty the the WBC split, and so I petitioned that. I asked Top Rank, hey, you know, let's write a letter, send that to the WBC, let them know that I'm. If there's someone bringing the network, it will be me, which means that network will come with a real number, a real number of what the spike could possibly be worth. You know, not not an unknown number. A real number, and we can look at a percentage based on that number, and it's, you know, and that we have a better idea of what's our compensation to fight. Um, 
then the ESPN and, and my promoter, they're not really interested in doing that when they're going to make a guy, especially from a, from a promoter that they, they make zero business with, get most of the money. When the, when the, when the split came back at 65, 35, so I'm pushing Regis and I went live head to head with them. I was like, your job is to, is to learn the business, man. Go and tell you, tell your advisors, your promoters to, to find a network, to find interest in this fight and send me an offer, a good offer, man. You can't, I can't go based 35% of an unknown bidder. You know, this is not this is not 35% of a pay-per-view fight because it's not even going in pay-per-view, you know, but we need to make sure who's going to bid, you know. I legally cannot go out there and because I'm still on the contract with Top Rank and try to do all that by, by myself, you know. My, my, my own, the only thing I could do is trying to give an idea of what Top Rank might bid, depending on what ESPN gives them. But, you know, I, I found very little interest. So I'm being kind of left alone to try to carry this fight to be made. He doesn't, man, he doesn't sound, he doesn't seem like he's interested to, interested to do anything about it. Like, he's like, oh, I'm just a fighter. I don't, you know, I have, I have a team that does that. I just fight. Don't be stupid, man. Don't be stupid, you know, because. I, I think, I think too, let me, let me jump in with a couple of things. I think too, you're right. His, his management team has tried to drum up some interest from the other major promoters. Matchroom, for example. Um, I don't get the sense that Matchroom, at least right now, is interested in getting into the pro-grade business at the moment. Golden Boy, not interested at the moment either. And that limits it. Like you're, As you know, like there's only a handful of big promoters with money behind them. What I was interested in, Jose, was... I, I tend to agree with you. I've said this. 65-35 is not a fair split for for you because... If it was 35% of a $10 million pie, I'll take it any day. Right. But even even still, even still, like, you know, you're you're the attraction if, if that fight's going to be in Fresno. You've got... It's your promoter's money that's behind it. But my question for you, Jose, is what is there a number that works for you? Is there a number where you would take that fight? 100%, man. If it was, there's a minimum that I have to protect me because I, because I you know, again, uh, as I learned the business, I learned the value I bring to, to even top, uh, top rank and what, and, and the interest and the view, the viewership that I have every time I fight on ESPN. So I, I, I educate myself with those numbers and I know what my value is. So I do have a minimum with top rank and the min, and, and, and my minimums with top rank exceed $1 million, you know, mm-hmm. and I haven't fought for a million dollars since 20, since, well, I went straight from 500,000 to, to 1.5 and then to 3 million. And then, you know, a couple of, of those, of those seven figure fights. Um, But my minimums, because, because uh, my minimums were set at just a little bit over a million. So if, if it reaches, if it's, if it reaches at 1.5, I'll take the fight. You know, it just you. It's just such a such a risky and unknown number. It could it could land to a thirty five percent. It is equivalent to three hundred thousand dollars. Makes four hundred thousand dollars. It makes no sense. Because- but when you, when you were when you were petitioning for an improved number, that's kind of what I'm trying to get at. Like, is there a percentage? Would you have done the fight or gone forward with a purse bid at forty percent, for example? Yeah. So so my my goal was to get to a, a split that was going to get the interest of ESPN. At this point, there's no interest in on ESPN or Top Rank. They or and then this at this point, Top Rank is not interested to to making a guy who's with Probellum 65 percent of of the bid. So then there won't be there won't be no bid, to my understanding. 
My goal. Yeah, is no, to- I, I don't think there there will not be there will not be a bid. But what's I think what frustrates some people, and this has and nothing to do with what, what frustrates me. So I, I'm trying to educate uh, regions that if it's 50 50, I might get ESPN interested in making a bid. Mm. And he right, you should you should be smart enough to understand that 50 percent of a bigger number is much better than 65 70 percent of of an of of an unknown very little number. You know, mm. so that, that 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 frustrates me. You know, because this is my business, and and I know it's important to fight for a belt. But the belts will come sooner or later because there's contracts, and I know I know Breaches did not sign a lifetime contract with Probellum. So when he understands the business, he could decide, he could make better decisions. Look at look at what Matchroom and, and Topring did when we fought with Hooker. That was a great that was back vaccines negotiations that I had with my team. Uh, go out there and speak to Eddie Hearn. Eddie Hearn is a wonderful, is a great promoter. He's a great person. Made it very easy. Treated us with so much respect. And I went and it's not so much of where I fight. It's not so much of who I fight. Is, you know, it's, 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 it's that we both get compensated because this is not an easy sport. At the end of the day, man, fans, fans they, they love you one day. So when I beat Hooker and I came back, man, you know, everything was, you know, I was getting all the support. Then, mm-hmm. you know, you have, even if you have a, 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 a even if you don't have your best performance, and any fighter could agree with this, you know they turn they, they turn their backs, you know, and then and then and and also it seems to me that as the moment that that, that you start making uh, more than what they than what the fan base thought that you probably uh, the moment that you start making this much money and they see that the kind of the lifestyle that you start moving, then they then they kind of start cheering for the other dog, the guy that's making mm-hmm. very. And saying, you know, you know, let's go for this trip for this guy because you know, um, I, I I could relate to this guy a lot less now, you know, mm-hmm. and and for people need to understand that I I I'm all, I, I'm still one of, I'm I'm still very touchable here in the community of Fresno and where I live and who I know I'm you know I'm, I'm I haven't changed I'm, I'm still the same guy I act this I act this same and and uh, and I love what I do but I just mm-hmm. say I'm not I'm stupid man I'm not I'm not and I can't carry the soul fight by myself. And, and getting this blame that Jose's walking away. I haven't walked away to this day. Tomorrow, they would send me an offer that I'll exceed my, my minimum just by, doesn't even exceed it, just guarantees me that I'll make a little bit, that I'll make what my, what my minimums are, you know. Mm-hmm. Then I'll fight. But then, then, and I'll still be losing. I'll still be losing that the fight might go in, into this network that has no platform, that has no experience. You know, instead and 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 you know, fighting on on the zone, fighting on 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 ESPN, those are well experienced platforms. You know, so sometimes uh, the viewership kind of make up and compensate some of that money as well too. You know, because I'm an entertainer and I want to showcase my talent to the most people. Well, what know? do you think, Jose? Let me ask you this: What do you think of what's happening with you right now? Is getting compared to what Virgil Ortiz did, who is represented by the same manager as you in all this. And, you know, your manager seemed fine with Virgil Ortiz taking 25% of a split. And he's in a kind of a a similar situation that he's the well-known guy. He's got the major backer behind him. He's going to be selling tickets in Texas for that fight. He's only getting guaranteed like half a million. And it sounds like Golden Boy... And maybe it's it's the network too is going to kick in a little extra cash to make sure he gets there. Like, is that should should my question for you is should Top Rank not do that for you? Should ESPN not do that for you to make a big fight happen? That's that you said. That's the difference. Is that Golden Boy at 
Golden Boys and the Zone are stepping up and to making sure Virgil's treated perfectly. Yeah. And that 25% uh, does not equivalent what that is, the final number that Virgil will be getting. And mm -hmm. and understanding the overall value if Virgil wins, I think Virgil will win the fight. And the network, the network and the promoter understand, understands that. And that's the difference. That's the difference between that situation and mine. Mine is, you know, if I was making, you know, mine is that I don't have that support. What? Why is that though? Like, why? Why can't you because, get it? Because you you've know, been because big for top rank for years. I, I haven't. I I I can't speak on the. I can't speak because I, I. You know, that's one thing that I. I'm not, I'm very unclear on why the polit you know, the politics differences between Probellum and top rank. And I think that 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 kicks in. But and, it's bad, I mean, Jose. It's it's bad between Golden Boy and PPC too. They ain't talking like that. That went to a purse bid. They they're they're not having conversations about making fight. Golden Boy just won the purse bid, and now they're going to make sure that Virgil is getting probably to like that low seven-figure number. You know, that's also, those are the same questions I'm asking myself and asking my, my manager to communicate with Top Rank, but, you know, we already got to find an answer, man. And it's like, you know, I'm kind of being kind of let, you know, um, uh, I'm kind of being let alone in this, you know what I mean? Um, but listen, um, Here's here's one thing that 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 that, that I'm excited for is that there's great 140 pound fighters. Devin Haney, he's moving up to 140 soon. Teofimo Lopez just moved up to 140. Ryan Garcia is at 140 now. Those names, especially Teofimo and Devin Haney, who are in-house fighters on this side of the pond, those fights are, could be made. You know, so I don't need reaches. At the end of the day, and that's 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 what gives me a little bit of of, of stability, um, and 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 it's what keeps me composed, you know, knowing that I, sooner or later those fights will come. I hope, I hope, yeah, I hope Regis will sign with the zone and then match and then <laughs> you know, one like that. And, and then, I and think then Regis's he's... team hopes. I think Regis's team hopes he signs with, with Matchroom. With I no, think no, that's no, there's truth to that. Right? Then, yeah. yeah, then this, this fight would have been happening now and it, it would have been a massive well-promoted fight, you know, because Taubring has done business with matchroom boxing, you know, obviously with me and Hooker, you know, I, you know, but that's not the case. And and that, I'm already, I felt like I, you know, this pandemic really hurt a lot of fighters, but I think it, it really hurt me, you know, it hurt me a lot. It kept me away. In 2020, when it took me practically from... <laughs> From November of 2019, I started my training camp to fight Postal, and it didn't happen until August 29th because of the postponing of the fights. And then in 2021, I fought Taylor for the Undisputed Championship, you know, and and I, prom I promised, I, 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 you know, to fight the best in the division and to go after all the belts, and that's what I did. So it, 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 the question of, for me, being afraid to fight the best, that's not it at all. That's no, you you've never you've never been afraid to fight anybody. That that that's no. of course not. Like there's no no you're never been afraid to fight anybody. But but yeah. like my my thing, what I would ask you though, Jose, is like you're right. Like Teofimo, Taylor, Haney, perhaps eventually there there's opportunity there for you to get a belt to get big fights. I would say this though, you know, like you just turned thirty. I I don't know if if I look at the just the the landscape next year, it, it might be tough for you to get that fight because it sounds like Taylor is going to have his fight and then maybe Teofimo after that. Uh, Hayden, he's going to do his thing with Lomachenko, then who knows? He's a, he's a great part, Chris. 
I only got two fights left with Top Rank, and then I'm a free agent. There's options for me, man. I've been willing to, I've been ready to move to 147. I think, I've, you know, I spoke to my ex-coaches, even Marvin Simori and Freddie Roach. I met him at the, mm-hmm. I went to go to the Canelo fight when he fought against Favreau in Las Vegas, and I came across them, and they're like, Jose, you moved to 147, you know what you could do. That's my mm-hmm. ex-coaches, you know. Uh, they're, being a free agent just opens up a whole amount of opportunity, and the top rank obviously wants me to resign with them. They have to feed me a guy like Teofimo or a guy like Demi Haney. Mm. You know, because because that's who I am. I I need to take care of my future. You know, I'm not just a dumb guy who says, yeah. oh, I just... so so that's 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 where that's where you know I have to I I had I, I would like to fight early early this year. You know, um, and that's why I want to move forward. Sometimes I feel like let me just move forward in my career and just get one fight of the way, and then the second one it will be my last fight with top rank. Either they give me a good name. You know, again, there's a minimums on my back, so financially I'm gonna be okay. You know, but uh, and I've and I've done okay in my career. You know, um, I've done just fine. But I uh, I, you know, I'm gonna start exceeding. I'm in the driver's seat. I'm gonna start asking for those fights, and and you know, and, and let's get it get let's get it on because I know Teofimo is not dumb is not dumb enough to go and fight thirty percent and be in the same situation I'm in right now. You know, thirty percent unknown unknown number. I know his dad says, "Oh, he's a, you know, they, you know, they're, they, they, it's easy for the dad to do all the talking and stuff like that." But when it comes to it, man, we'll see if he does it. If he doesn't, but not get get you know get ready because I'm 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 ready, you know. And 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 I know Topping has had inside talks and and they're interested in and in, in, in making that fight happen. It's a big fight on ESPN inside house. Now, Demi Haney is moving up too. That's another big fight. Uh, big fight. I could put myself on the rankings as a WBO, you know work my way up, find those big names. You know, if I beat Teofimo, that puts me real high in the WBO, you know. Uh, I just beat Pedrosa when he was ranked number four in the WBO. I beat him early this year. And uh, it was, it was my, my first fight coming after since since May of last year. But uh, And I was a little tense because, you know, it was, it was after I lost, but I could have put away Pedrosa, you know. I'm just, I could tell it was a different level. You know, he was trying to survive because he felt my jab in the first round. You know, he felt smart, and I took my time too. I felt very cautious. That's the most cautious I've ever, I've ever felt. But that's what someone does when, when trying to get their, their their confidence back back up. You know, and and I went out after a guy who was the two time world champion. I I haven't taken no easy fights since when, since I became a champion. Even before the fight to get the WBC shot against Samir Mon, I I stopped uh, Mike Reed, who was uh, uh, an an Olympic alter, uh, alternative, um, and he was twenty two and all, or twenty three and all at the time, and I stopped him in two rounds. You know, to go and fight against Samir Mon. So there's no question of my resume, you know, and um, there's no question what I could do, man. I just, you know, I'm excited. I'm excited for my future because once I'm a free agent, man, this whole politics, you know, it ain't gonna, you know, it's not gonna, it's not gonna hold me back. And I think that's what the people need to understand that the only, I'm, I'm being hold, I'm kind of being hold back a little bit right now, and it's mm. not fair, you know. And then people, I know people, it's easier. Oh, was they go. But, but it's a WBC, but it's a WBC belt, man. I've been a WBC uh, champion, and it doesn't make no difference. People are still gonna dislike, you know, you for for whatever the reasons they have. So you need to focus on you and your family, and you know. And I'm gonna do what I do in the in the ring, and I'm I'm gonna give my heart out, you know. So hopefully people respect that, and that's all I could do. It's just give give them, give them my best, but at the same time, you know, I uh I got my I got my family, and and and. And I gotta take care of myself and them, you know, because you're not gonna fight for for, you know, boxing is not 
it's not like you could be a doctor until you're 60 years old, you know, boxing. Yeah. You, you have a... Oh, you got a, you got a short, short shelf life to make a lot of money. I totally get that. La- last question for you. It, it is, so is the plan short term, Richard Comey in March? Is that kind of what you're being presented with at this point? And like, how long will you wait until, like, will you still oh, yeah. hold out hope they'll make a, a program fight? Well, we need to we need time to promote the, to promote my next fight. So um, it, you know I'm 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 going into the into the end of the year. So I'm glad I'm having this interview. So again, just my message to, to Regis and to any network. If you guys are interested in this fight, but the thing is that well, the the zone and any other huge network, unless they unless these are fighters, there's no reason for them to invest on a fighter that they don't you know have by the contract. It doesn't benefit the zone in, in any way. It doesn't benefit Matchroom in any way. To you know or or Golden Boy, or you know, to, to buy this fight because I'm still legally contract with Top Rank, and then we just do a Probello, you know. So that we already know where I sit with with my promoter. So you know, the only the only the only person is for that guy to to learn the business and within two days and 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 go out there and start asking questions with this promoter because the promo their promoters have a right to give him the champion right now the best fights. And it seems like they're not doing that. The whole the whole manage, management team is not doing that, you know. But uh, at the end of the day, man, the, the fights are going to happen, and and um before the year ends, I could be in a position where I have all these options, you know. And if and if and if uh, and if uh, if staying with top rank makes sense to me, then I'll stay with top rank. If not, you know, I'll, I'll, we'll see. We'll see what's out there. The good thing is that. In my contract, even if I become a champion by my second, by my next fight, there's not there's nothing that can hold me back from staying with Top Rank if I, unless I unless I want to stay. So it's not like there's nothing in my contract that says if you become a champion, you have to you know your contract extends. And I know a lot of promoters do that. And I did my when I did when I became a champion uh against Samir Mom, but uh that that part already ended. I I extended my contract with them uh for a couple more fights after they gave me the Taylor fight. You know, but now, um, but I think that's why you know Richard Comey has been has been presented to me. But they have to present me a bigger fight. You know, I'm willing to be back in that ring again for the second fight before September. Well, Jose, I appreciate your time, man. I mean, like you said, 140 is hot right now, man. It's a it's a great division. You know, you throw Ryan Garcia into that mix later on in the year. Presumably, he's at that weight class. Another. Big name. I hope you get into it, man. You're a fun fighter, and uh, hope to see you back uh, real soon. Now, listen, man. This, there's the fighters, Tank, uh, Brian, uh, even even oh, David Haney is is doing he's putting uh, he's doing a little bit more than the other guys. But the other guys, man, they they love to talk and only name each other, you know. And those fights are not happening. So I'm there to destroy their plans and to take the fight against me, bro. So, um, <laughs> you know, I'm. I'm I know I could be Brian Garcia, and I know I could be Demi Haney, and I know I could be Teofimo Lopez, and uh, and 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 Tank, you know. So when those guys are are, are really, uh, I want to step away from all this nice uh, uh, propaganda that's working for them, you know, and this well marketing job that they're doing, calling each other out throughout the, for the last five since they turned professional, you know, when they really, you know, and they're finding guys who are way behind, you know. They're finding guys who are very unknown, but because they because they continue talking about each other, the, the fans seem to kind of okay. Let's give them a break. Let's <laughs> give them a break. When they're really to actually make the big fights happen, man, I'm, I'll be there too. You know, I'll be there, and, and so I'm excited about the 140. You know, 
Well, I'm looking forward to it, Jose. Good luck. I hope you get everything you want this year, man. Yeah, God willing, bro. Thank you. That's it for this week's episode. My thanks to Dan Rayfield and Jose Ramirez for joining the show. As always, subscribe, rate, review this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you download podcasts. And I'll see you next week. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from The Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. Featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere. Like in the parking lot at your kid's peewee championship game. A trophy bigger than your 5-year-old is blocking the rear windshield of the car in front of you. As they reverse into you, you're stuck on defense. And if you don't have the right auto insurance coverage, this crash could drain your athletic fund. So switch to Allstate, save money, and get protected from mayhem like this. Based on coverage selected, subject to terms, conditions, and availability. Savings vary. When you're an American Express Platinum Card member, don't be surprised if you say things like, Chef, what course are we on? I've, I've lost count. Or, Shoot that, shoot that! And even... Checkout's not until 4, so... Because the American Express Platinum Card offers access to exclusive reservations at renowned restaurants, elevated experiences at live events, and 4 p.m. late checkout at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Terms apply.